So the actress who played uh, the lead fake Janeway in Live Long and Prosper also played the Vorta in the DS9 episode, The Ship, which I feel like is the most interesting thing that I can say about this episode. (laughs) This week, you know, I have to say, neither of these episodes were good episodes, but I kind of... Well, I will disagree with you. I like Muse a lot, but we'll get well, to that in a few minutes. Maybe, maybe maybe, this. Neither of them were great episodes, but I think it's. I think they're both very interesting episodes to talk about. Again, it, given that Star Trek... Given... I think they're both very interesting episodes to talk about, given that both episodes episodes are very aware of the fan culture surrounding star trek to some degree yes but i think that live long and prosper aggravates me because it is an episode that could have been incredibly funny yeah and isn't and if you're going to do this kind of farce and it's not funny like it's mildly humorous i think i chuckled once or twice but it's not very, very funny, or it's not that over no. the top, and I don't know what the point of it is. I mean, I like the idea that Voyager has gotten enough of a reputation that people want to pretend to be them and scam other alien species out of goods and services, but at the end of the day, I didn't learn anything about Janeway. I didn't learn anything about Tuvok. I didn't learn anything about Chakotay. And yeah, is it mildly amusing to get the sight gag of a funhouse mirror version of these characters for the first time? Sure. But the plot itself is, I mean, the word is perfunctory. If there was a stronger word that I could think of, I would use it. Well, and it's an episode that features a subplot where Neelix and Tom Paris are trying to scam the doctor out of things by playing a cup game. And I'm just like, what am I watching? Well, yeah, I, I was, I, I think you're completely right. This needs to be a broad, wacky comedy episode. Finally, finally, you think I'm completely right. Oh, you're, you're, you're welcome. It's only taken 28 years to get to this point, but we finally made it. Uh, Home on our long journey from Voyager. So now that we're finished with the series, it's been a very great time, and let's go to Enterprise next week. Yes, I know. Uh, Voyager <laughs> only had uh, uh, six episodes. Or, sorry, Voyager only had six seasons. That, that's and it all didn't even finish the sixth season. They just no, stopped it. No, just, it. it just um, stopped. It was very bizarre. Yeah. If they made this, I mean, why isn't this the Jason Alexander episode? Yeah, like well, that, I mean, yeah, that that's well, a really but, good point. Like, get get some good sitcom actors, yeah. or actors that have been in sitcoms. Get a sitcom director. Like, really go all out. Like, make the music stings really hilarious. I mean, yes, I know it's a late season episode. They probably didn't have the money to make or the, you know its own score. It, Levar Burton directed it, and I, I mean, he's a good director, but I don't know that this kind of thing is really something yeah, yeah. that he's particularly good at, and. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's just well, there's little moments like my favorite part of this is the fake Tuvok character because of how into it he's getting. I mean, he's babbling about logic the entire time, and he's and he's the one who's saying, "Oh, well, the Federation has a very uh, lenient surrender policy," and that was the funniest part of the episode that you have somebody who is just so who is doing this role so much that he's kind of becoming Tuvok and. Again, if that had been done even more broadly if, with all of the characters, it would have been very funny. And I think that's that actually would have given it a little bit more of a point, which is the, the, the scene where Neelix is talking to fake Janeway and he's basically saying, yeah, when I first went on, I was thinking about myself, but – these people taught me to do the right thing, and I realized doing good feels good. And that, I mean, that's the closest to a theme that they have. And if you have these characters who are slowly becoming Federation just by virtue of having to act like Federation for a while, I think that's kind of a nice theme for it. Again, we're fixing the episode, but... Well, you know, it's it's funny because I was about to say, like, I, I think that at least for the rest of Voyager, I'm going to be over having fixing an episode be a problem because we get to this point so much with Voyager where 
I don't think that outlining the flaws of each individual episode of Voyager or Voyager as a television series is going to be all that interesting to our listeners because they've listened to the podcast for six seasons. And so to me, it's like, yeah, let's fix the episode because it indicates to me that every single time we have this conversation where we start to talk about how the episode could have been better. And to be clear, we're just two random assholes yeah. for the podcast. We're not professional television writers. We're not even amateur television writers. And so, I mean, to me, it's like, yeah, they could do that and they could say, yes, well, it, it, they're acting like the Federation, so they slowly become like the Federation. We've seen that before, and I think that's one way to yeah. approach it. I, th- I think another way to approach it would have been to uh, take the episode and to really play up the idea that these characters are take every opportunity to have them do the exact opposite thing. And so often in this episode, it just kind of floats around for 45 minutes, but doesn't ever really go anywhere. You know, what, what it comes down to for me is like, this is the, this is the television equivalent of wallpaper. It, it doesn't have a point of view. And if it doesn't have a point of view, then what are we doing with this? Why, why does this television show exist? And, and That's why I like Muse, because Muse at least has an interesting point of view. You can argue whether or not it's a good episode, but I think you can argue that it's trying to say something. I don't well, know what this episode is trying to say. And more, what's worse than that is I don't think it's trying to say anything. I think that the person who wrote it just had a script due that week. Yeah, I mean, both of these episodes, I, I, I find that these, this is a week where it's a little hard to talk about them completely separately. Because, again, I think they are both talking about fan misinterpretations of these characters, maybe, or m- possible misinterpretations of these characters and how their core is a little bit different. But um, I think that's more true for Muse than for Live yeah. and Prosper, but, but I'll give it to you. But, again, given that... Uh, I guess it's. I, I guess the point I'm leading to is it's hard to see a bizarro version of Chakotay because who is Chakotay? I mean, you can have a silly version of his tattoo, and that's about as far as they take him in this episode. What what is a what is a version of Chakotay that is acting out of character? And that's not even the first time that they've made that joke either. Yeah, Q did that joke. I mean, you know, so so I just think that that you're right. Like, and I think Muse is a pro. I think this is a problem for Muse as well. That, it, you know, they do a really good a job with establishing the ground rules of the plot and the universe and Muse and that civilization. But you could have swapped out Belana for anybody in that yes. episode, and it would not have mattered a fucking. Ma- it would not have fucking mattered. So yeah, that's a problem. But you know, we'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. I think that that. It's just that the they want to do a farcical comedy episode of Star Trek Voyager, but they're not funny. And and it doesn't if you're even going to make a yeah. comedy make it funny. I mean, like think back to I Mud from the original yeah. series, right? Like that is a funny episode. Now, is it sexist? Is it all these kind of things? Yes, of course, but. It also does have a core of comedy to it. Because it's willing to embrace it. Again, when, you know, I, I, I talk about camp a lot, Yahura uh, screaming out, I want a robot body is camp as fuck. And they went with it. They knew that it was going to be a silly, over-the-top moment. And they knew that, you know, the punchline of the robot wife nagging him is going to be so broad and something out of Bewitched, but... It worked for the episode. They weren't, they weren't afraid to do something very tonally different and commit to it. And Voyager has shown it is willing to do tonally different episodes. It's just this episode – this episode – cowardly, I guess, is the best term for it. It's not yeah. willing to go there. It, 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 it's And cowardly doesn't even seem – lazy, I think, seems a better term almost. I, I think cowardly. I think lazy. I I, I think uh, offensive to my sensibilities as a thinking person. <laughs> well, you I'm know, not against 
I'm not against filler episodes. I'm not even against no. wallpaper episodes. You know, if I'm sitting around on a Tuesday night and I don't have anything to do, I might turn on Twitch and watch some random person stream Castlevania 2 for an hour because I, I don't have anything else to do. I'm not against that sort of entertainment. But, well, like, right of Kate- an episode. Well, right. an episode like like Live Long and Prosper, to me, and I'm making a lot of grandiose statements about Star Trek again because this is what we get so often with Voyager when episodes don't really entertain yeah. us or don't give us anything really to talk about, is that it really does feel like this is the, the logical endpoint to Rick Berman's mandate to protect the franchise, quote-unquote, that you can't do something like I Mudge. You can't have the characters acting in ways that are a little bit outside the the bounds of what we would consider to be a normal attitude or normal statements because we're not talking about a random episode of a random science fiction television series anymore. We are talking about the catalog of the Cadillac of Paramount. We're talking about Star Trek. And so you can't have them do things that are outside of the box in terms of comedy. I think the closest this episode gets to to breaking that kind of wall is when Janeway's shower uh, short circuits at the beginning of the episode. And that's like the funniest part of the episode. But, you know, I I will counter all of that by saying Bride of Chaotica, which went very visually outside of what Star Trek is normally doing, which tonally went very, it was an opportunity for all for uh, the main cast to just ham it up and wear ridiculous outfits and just that was a filler episode there wasn't any major things going on but it was just funny they wanted to make a silly episode that was funny and that paid a bit of homage to the series roots and so voyager d- can do that it, it, i guess that it, obviously that's an outliner that's a very uh singular episode but well, I, I will challenge you on that because I, I think it's a really good example of ex- – I mean, it actually – I think it helps my point. You know, Bride of Chaotica is a holodeck episode. and Okay, fair. They can get away with doing that kind of thing when the underlying reality is not impacted in any way, shape, or form. But when you have an episode like this, which is relying on the idea that there is a group of aliens on a ship that are flying around pretending to be – the crew of the of the Voyager, like, and you don't do anything interesting with that. Yeah. Why not just make this a holodeck episode then? You know, I, I don't get it. I mean, like, look at something like Far Beyond the Stars, right? Or look at Cupid. And, and these are a kind of different examples of that type of thing, where Far Beyond the Stars takes a very serious and sober look at a very terrible part of American history and and kind of highlights a lot of the issues that are in American society, you know, in the 90s and to the present day. But they do it in a way that does not it does not impact the, the underlying reality mm. of of the show. And a fascinating story that I don't know that I've ever shared on this podcast is that I was reminded of when I went to the, the Star Trek convention in August is that they had a, a panel, a special panel on Far Beyond the Stars to close out the, the, the convention. And uh, Iris Stephen Bear has said this before. This is not new information, but it just reminded me of it that he wanted to end Deep Space Nine oh, yeah. by it being a, a part of Benny's psychosis and rick berman said no and i think rick berman was right to say no because what does that mean for the original series what does that mean for the next generation what does that mean for the underlying reality of the thing we call star trek but he didn't let it's like it's like he missed this episode a little bit he's like okay well i guess you can do this but you can't go too far with it because we don't want to impact the underlying reality of Mm. of star trek and then don't make the episode you know like i'm sure they had a couple other scripts lying in a drawer that had been rejected that they could have made yeah i i see i feel like and i feel like we're about to start talking about far beyond the stars in a way that's uh just showing how we feel about uh, living fast and prospering um I don't know if that ending necessarily undermines the reality of Star Trek because, number one, it is DS9, and if you want that to be the side story where the others are canon, you can maybe do that. And number two, 
Because I think the whole point of the Benny storyline is that uh, even in the the, – the optimism of the Benny storyline is that even in the face of oppression, there are still people who are dreaming of heroes and still figuring out ways of transcending this. And ultimately – and this is what the point of the Bell Riots is – is that enough people began to believe – in certain ideals that they were finally moved to actually bring them out and bring about a just society. And I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go down a rat hole of talking about far beyond the stars. Yeah, of course. I'll just say this one thing and then we can move back on to, to, to live fast and prosper. But uh, I think you're wrong. And I think you're wrong because DS nine appears in TNG. DS nine appears in Voyager. Quark appears in Voyager. Quark appears in DS nine. Picard appears in DS nine. Like it, it opens a can of I don't have a strong opinion about it one way or the other, and I'm sure that they could have made that ending of DS9 work yeah. and could have like sandboxed it in such a way that it just meant that DS9 exists, you know, didn't exist, but the rest of Star Trek existed. But you know, why do that? I think it's just like yeah, it's, that's fair. whatever it is. I, I don't think it's going to impact it one way or the other, but I still think that it was probably the right decision not to do that because it opens up a can of worms that no one was really prepared to answer. No, it's true. Star Trek goes a little meta, and again, episodes like these, and particularly Muse, are going very meta-textual. That's where everybody was at at the very end of the 90s, but to go that far is a little St. Elsewhere of it. Yeah. I mean, but then getting back to Live Fast and Prosper, I think that, that that is precisely the problem with the episode, right? That they have an underlying reality. They can't go too far outside the the bounds of what we would consider to be quote unquote normal behavior for Star Trek characters. I, I think that that Catherine Mulgrew gets really close sometimes, playing up uh, a little bit of 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 a little bit of cheese. Let's say I think you know what I like, and that's the closest the show ever gets, and it's a shame because. Yeah. If they had let the guest stars play this as broadly as possible and really played it up as a comedy, I think it would have worked a lot better. And I think what you're just seeing is is an example that they didn't want to do that because Rick Berman didn't want to he just didn't want to do that. And I think that's a problem. Because it because it hurts the episode and it it doesn't make it interesting to watch in any way shape or form. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Rick Berman as, as particularly on our September podcast, uh, which is about the current kind of incarnation of the franchise, and that's for patrons only. So if you go to patreon.com slash show, you could listen to it. Uh, but we've talked about Rick Berman, again, having a respect for the franchise and doing the work and all of that. And by this point, maybe it is becoming a double-edged sword. Uh, certainly, he was instrumental in getting the franchise to the heights that it got to, but it's it's getting a little stale by this point. Yeah, yeah. It, it is getting sta- stale, and I think that there are so many examples in this episode of of how they could have played around with the idea of Federer. Because, like, for, you know... The Federation and Starfleet officers being naive is not a new concept, right? No. I mean, there is a that that I mean, one of the best scenes in all of Star Trek, in my opinion, is that two shot between Cisco and Kira in his office in I think it's part two of the Maquis, where they're arguing about the Maquis and and Cisco is taking the Starfleet side, Kira is like, you're you're siding against your own people. What are you doing? And then you know it ends with the with that really classic line that I think gets uh, put out there a lot is like DS9's kind of purpose statement, which is, you know, if you do this, if you actually believe this, I, the Federation is even more naive than I already think it is, mm. and that is a really strong statement for a Star Trek show to make. Yeah. And and in comparison, in Live Long and Prosper, we have a character, fake Janeway, using using Neelix's newfound sense of optimism against him by braining him, by by convincing him that she wants to turn over a new leaf, and then just hitting him on the head and running out of the of the room, right? Yeah. And on the one hand, you could say, well, that's kind of ridiculous. I don't think that Neelix would ever do that. On the other hand, you can say, well, that's how the episode just wants to progress. But there's no idea ever given 
to to interrogating that as a concept. And yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, because they obviously it'd be Paris and the doctor hiding out on the flyer, knowing that she would escape to there. I think you could easily bring Neelix as part in as part of the plan too. Uh, you know, you know, the captain told me to make one last attempt to redeem her, but she's probably but let her escape if that's the thing. Ow, I didn't realize she would hit me so hard, kind of a thing. I, I, I mean, that I think would, emp- it would exemplify the Federation in that up to the very last moment they are going to be. Seeing if they want to do a peaceful surrender. Let's negotiate. Let's work this out. Let's find a way to make it all happy. But if it really fails, they've got three backup plans and they're going to catch them. And frankly, this ends. They're catching her and her gang no matter one way or another, whether it's the easy way or the hard way. And she chooses the hard way. I mean, I, I, I think they, that's another thing that they could have doubled down for. Again, another iteration on the Federation is not so naive, but. Not a bad one to have. And yeah, I agree. But I think as well, like if you just look at the events of this episode, you know, the, the random alien that confronts them about uh, stealing the Bolomite from them. And this is how they find out about the, the, the fake Voyager yeah. crew is. Wouldn't you think they were naive? I, you know, and, and there's no argument given for the fact that they're not. You know, I think having them in that. Uh, in in that uh, room with that alien in the conference room and Janeway and, and the alien kind of yelling at each other and then Tuvok saying, well, how do we know you're not lying? And then Janeway is like immediately shuts it down, which I think is the Federation perspective, right? Like we're not going down that road, right? Yeah. You came to us in good faith. And she doesn't have to say any of this because we have been watching yeah. Star Trek for a long time. We know what they're going to say. We know what they're going to do. And maybe that's... Maybe I accidentally hit upon the problem with this episode and the problem with this show is that we know what they're going to do. We know what they're going to say. It just feels like they're going through the motions. Yeah, and, and any uh, any temptation – it would be one thing if the temptations to go against the Federation uh, way were more present and more, and, and more seductive, but – is that way making more of a point when they go the Federation way, but it feels like for the most part, the again, the character is what you are in the dark nature of the show is another thing that's been shed and something that I think could have been pretty powerful as a major theme for the series. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's primarily what it comes down to for me is that, is that Voyager doesn't really have a point of view, you know? And I, and I don't, I don't, I don't know I don't know if they even know that it doesn't have a point of view. And I, I think that's a problem. Yeah, we should be worried – more than anything, we should be worried about the soul of Voyager, so to speak. And we should uh, rejoice every week when they make the right Federation decision. And it doesn't – it never feels to me that high stakes because I think that is what the stakes of the show are. Is it still worth – clinging to your ideals when they make no sense and frankly will make your life more difficult and Voyager needs to be the show that's saying yes no you had these ideals for a reason you know they're the right thing to do and that's why it's a difficult sacrifice no one's saying it's easy yeah yeah and you know I mean I I don't even want to to uh, I sound down on Voyager and and I guess I am but I'm still engaged with the show in a weird way, I guess, because it is Star Trek that, that there is still something in there that I want to fight for. You know, we stopped doing the X-Files a couple months ago and I wasn't getting this worked up over the sixth season of the X-Files. I can tell you that. Uh, (laughs) So I don't know if Voyager justifies, you know, my level of engagement, but, but it's there. Well, the question that I'm not ready to answer yet but you said this a lot about the x-files is a show that you believe is much more than the sum of its parts in other words maybe there are only a handful of episodes that are really great and there's a lot of crap in there but it's still a great show because overall as a point of view and while i think i would say x-files is inconsistency is a major blow against it um 
I think it's time to begin considering the question, is Voyager more than the sum of its parts? Yeah, I, I think that that is a, a really good question. And I mean, we have I, a little over one season left to go. It's, it's time to start contemplating what the show was. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I don't think that... I'll put it to you this way. Our last DS9 podcast was, if I'm remembering correctly, one hour and 40 minutes long. We're yeah, not we... doing a one hour and 40 <laughs> minute long wrap-up episode on, on the final episode of Voyager. Right? No. We're just not. Although we may end up talking about the this era of Star Trek again. This is the end of the 24th century as far as we know. True, true. Well, I mean, I th- I'll leave that question just kind of floating out yeah. there as a, as a tease for the audience because I do think that is something that we are going to have to start grappling with. And I know what my answer is to that question, but I'm not going to say what that answer is quite yet. Just to be as annoying as possible. Of course. Just like this episode. (laughs) So I guess I have one final question in that we see the Doctor pretending to be another character and getting, you know, the drop on the rest of the gang. Uh, I'm assuming we never see the Doctor doing that because that would solve like three quarters of the episodes if he had that ability for real. Yes, I agree with that. And I also think it's really interesting that apparently they can make his mobile emitter look like part of his own body. So why doesn't he just do that all the time? <laughs> you know, I mean, and maybe that's part of it. Like, it, that feels a little cheap. Like, suddenly, you know, he's revealing a new power and it just happens to solve the thing. You know, that, that, that it, it, it seems like whoever wrote this missed Odo. <laughs> Because Odo well, did that from time to time, and it that, was that is, yeah, and it was always wonderful because that was such a part of Odo that it was the very concept of his character. Well, DS Nine was officially off the air at this point, so so maybe they thought that they could get away with stealing that from the show. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I do want to say one final thing before we move on to Muse, which is that um, I, I have absolutely nothing to say about the the shell game subplot where Neelix and Tom Paris get their comeuppance from the Doctor because it's just as it's as stupid as I've ever seen Star Trek Voyager be. Uh, but I, I will say that I did enjoy it only because I got to see the really dumbfounded, stupid look on Tom <laughs> Paris's face, and I am really starting to dislike this character. So I'm glad that he got a little bit of what he deserved. Again, there's been little things here and there with both Tom and Harry that the show is starting to just dig at them a little bit because I think they really I, I think they're finally realizing who these people that Tom and Harry kind of suck. Yeah. <laughs> and and the thing is, I don't think Harry Kim sucks. I just think Harry Kim is the type of person that has no personality and so will do whatever the last person told him to do. Oh. Uh, and so Tom Paris is just like turning harry kim into a mini version of tom Paris because harry kim has no personality of his own and so we'll listen to tom paris no matter what tom paris does or says yeah but they make harry the butt of a lot of jokes now and i don't feel at all bad <laughs> no i don't either but i think that uh yeah <laughs> all right well let's move on to muse but before we do that just want to take an opportunity to remind you that this podcast is supported by you listening to this. Yes, you put down that frying pan, stop your car, get off the treadmill and go to patreon.com slash truck about show and donate now. So you had said that you didn't really think Muse was a great episode. And I agree with you. I, I don't think it's a great episode by any stretch of the imagination, but I think it's an effective episode in what it's trying to do and say. And coming off the heels of Live Fast and Prosper, an episode which had no point of view, I just think it's nice to see an episode that has a point of view. Oh, yeah. Um, Like I said, this episode to me is about fan fiction directly. Um. I mean, I feel like this this episode is trying to slap in the face all of the shippers, right? Like, no, there wouldn't be kissing all over the place, which 
you know is a major part of all fan fiction. Um, and it is kind of refuting little bits of its own continuity, or perhaps it's not paying attention to them. Uh, for example, this episode really shoots down any lingering ideas anybody had that uh, Chakotay and Janeway were an item. That is true. Yeah, I mean, there are certain—I had, I had not— picked up on that part of the episode but i i think you've made a pretty compelling yeah couple like, of examples there you know I, I don't know that it's the point of the episode necessarily but i but i do think that it is digging a little bit at the concept of fan fiction but at the same time i think maybe trying to say that the point of fan fiction may be to do a little bit of wish fulfillment, a little bit of shipping on the part of the yeah. writers and, and what the what the audience might like to see. But at the same time, fan fiction is still writing fan fiction about Star Trek specifically for a specific reason. And they just need an editor to come in, Belana Torres, tell them to cut all the kissing out, and yeah. then they actually get at the heart of what makes Star Trek Star Trek. Yeah, may, uh, maybe the this is about, okay, you got some details wrong, and let's really go into, for example, this is another episode that has Tuvok's emotions as a very uh, – how Tuvok experiences emotions as an important part, which the poet actually – does get fairly right. Uh, he has that line about, you know, he's in more pain than any of us will ever imagine, and we know that. Um, some of the details are wrong, but the heart of Star Trek, which is that ultimately we can come to peaceful solutions. Ultimately, we don't need to go to war. The true strength is being able to ally with your enemy, your former enemies. Um, and I think it is saying that the fan fiction community does have that at their heart. Yeah, and, and not only that, but but I also think that, that Muse is such a good example of the type of good enough episode that Star Trek does so often, which is it's a quiet, slow episode that doesn't really feature much, if any, action. Yeah. And for large parts of it, Balana and this poet guy are just sitting in the wreckage of the Delta flyer, having a conversation. And this is something we don't get to see on Voyager very often. We, we, you know, we've said over and over again, that Voyager is the action adventure star Trek. And we just talked about an episode called live fast and prosper for God's sake, but <laughs> it works so much better than live fast and prosper because it is grounded in a real understanding of what makes Star Trek Star Trek. It is it is telling us something without being preachy. It is it is instructing us without being didactic. And I, I think it's really I think it's really effective at what it's trying to do. Yeah, in a way, the potential action all, all, all of that is bad. All of the episode is spent avoiding that. That would either be Bolana getting exposed as an eternal or war breaking out or perhaps Bolana's dealing with some survival stuff. Like any action is a bad thing. The fact that they are sitting around and talking about writing a play is the good part in a way, is, is, what, is what the Federation is kind of striving for, that we can all just sit around and do art instead of fighting. Yeah, because, I mean, Bolana wants to get out of the situation, right? She wants to get off this planet and back to Voyager. But at the end of the episode, she does make the affirmative decision not to sacrifice this society in order to get back to Voyager and her life on Voyager a little bit quicker. You know, she she does make the decision to go to the theater and to put on this show to help them get out of this situation. And if nothing else... You know, I don't think this is a super good episode for Balana, and like I said earlier, I think you could probably swap her out with any other character, and it would work just as well. But I do think it shows, if nothing else, that Balana has internalized what it means to be a Starfleet officer. Yeah, and maybe the fact that you could replace her with anybody in this episode is a bit of the point in that every single one of these people would make that decision. Again, the point of that novel. Federation, which we also did on a patron special. Uh, if you are a Starfleet officer, there are certain uh, parts to your character and certain values that you have just by virtue of being Federation. Uh, and everybody will make that choice to sacrifice. 
Well, I don't know if Tom Paris would, but <laughs> I hate Tom Paris. So, yeah, I, I see your point. Yeah, because Tom Paris that... sacrificing himself is the thing you want. So he <laughs> he's not sacrificing himself for your happiness, Eric. Get over it. But I want him to so much. So you can write a fan fiction about it. <gasps> well, let's get to, to, I think, the one misstep of the episode, which is the fact that, yes, you're right. Like, it's nice that any character could have slotted in and still got the right message at the end of the episode. But yeah, I also think there could have been a way to specifically make this about Bellana without sacrificing the the point of the episode and i'm not sure how that this was written by joe minoski i don't think it's any surprise that 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 it is this type of episode because joe minoski is a very good star trek writer um but well the the fact that balana is incidental to this episode in terms of her her personally not in terms of her uh getting to the end of the episode and helping them to solve this problem um, is that we don't know who she is. She doesn't have as much of a strong character as a lot of the other Star Trek characters that we have known over the years. And I think it highlights the problems with how Voyager has handled a lot of its characters, that that we don't learn anything about her because we yeah. don't know enough about her to know what we should learn. Well, I'm thinking of a bunch of Worf episodes that even The Next Generation, but also DS9 did, where he is conflicted by his inner nature of what he would do as a Klingon and what he has sworn to do as a Starfleet officer. And whether or not he makes that choice is always very interesting. And again, if if, if Voyager was going to be that temptation towards not doing the Federation way... Um, what if this – what – all we hear of this conflict is that it's stupid. It's just supposed to be the fighting a, a petty squabble between two egotistical lords and all these people getting involved in this. But what if the conflict were something that Bellana actually wanted to take sides in? What if she actually had a temptation to join up as an Eternal with her firepower and had to realize, you know, no, we do have to find even peace even if it's justified maybe? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like the way in which the episode sidesteps that question because I, I think that that's yeah, part of and the point of the episode, that it doesn't really matter which side is which. It's just no, bullshit that they're fighting. And you see a little glimpse of that, I think, kind of in the midway point of the episode when the stakes get raised and the poet comes back. I think his name is Kellum. Is that right? Kellis? Uh, Ke- Kellogg? Um, that Kellogg comes back and you know, says, oh, look, the the patron is going to start a war. He's been uh, insulted by his rival, et cetera, et cetera. And Bellana's initial reaction is, whoa, 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 dude. Like, you know, uh, uh, Eternals can't take sides. And that's not his point at all, right? I mean, and I think that's a nice little moment for the episode. And that's when yeah. I think the episode really, um, you, you kind of figure out what the episode is doing and where it's going. Because you think, of course, that, he wants her help to try and win the war for his patron, but that is not what he wants at all. He wants to avoid it because he believes in the power of art. And it's just like, am I watching this? You know, like it's just, it's a, it's a nice little moment. I'm not trying to oversell it. I mean, I don't no, think no. this is like, you know, th- this is not uh, uh I can't think of a, what's that book? I don't know. Whatever. Uh, you know, this is not <laughs> the great Gatsby. <laughs> This is not some sort of like, you know, philosophy 101 course or something like that. But we're not talking about like a a great aesthetic course or anything like that. But I like it. It's nice. It's a nice theme. I can get behind it. Yeah, no. And again, it's it's a totally optimistic and earnest theme. And that's nice, especially given that, again, if this is a way of fan culture – it's also aware of popular culture, and The Matrix has come out by this point. Science fiction is becoming extraordinarily different and, frankly, going to get fairly dark again. Uh, I think this is Voyager's ta- also trying to take a stand and saying, no, there is still a need for good messages because, frankly, 
we as writers need I mean I mean that that's the two ways of doing art, right? Some people just depict what their society is and some people try to reform society. And I think uh I think what people tend to appreciate flips back between the two of them. We're going into an era from reformist into depiction, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's true. But I also think the, the other thing that that Star Trek and, and the best you know speculative fiction does is – or fiction in general, I think. I think Better Call Saul is actually a really good example of, of what I'm about to say in, in, in a modern context, which is – uh, sort of the best art or the best storytelling presents you with two choices and says, no, these are these are false choices. You know, there's a third option here. You don't need to buy into your society structures or even the, the structures of the plot. There, there's, there's always a way out of this. There's always a way out of this false choice to fight the battle yeah. or not fight the battle. And I think that's what I like about this episode because Bolana recognizes that, 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 you know, we're we're talking about a civilization that is a, at about a sort of like I don't know what would you say like Greece, ancient Greece, yeah, sort of level especially of technology with the emphasis on plays and the types of plays that they have. They're definitely inspired by ancient Greek theater. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not medieval. They don't they don't have a lot of alloys. I think the best alloy they have, they she said, is bronze. So. You know, you're getting an example of of a society that is that is pretty low on the the technological totem pole. Um, but Bilana has the uh, – she sees that they're able and willing to, to get above that, that someone like Kellis exists and wants to get out of this, that she does not – I mean, I'll take it back a little bit. I think that, that Bilana has always wanted to ha- protect people that are – I don't want to use the word lower than her, but she's always wanted to – she doesn't like bullies, right? And so yeah. – I think she sees that this patron and his town or his state or whatever are are bullies to a very large degree. And that, you know, that's the, the point of when Kellis is saying, well, you know, the, the little people always get trod on and we have to fight the wars and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's when it really flips for her. And she wants to get them out of this situation because she knows that someone like Kellis exists and if yeah if he is allowed to continue to make his art that eventually that will help the civilization to grow and flourish and become become better yeah, yeah. than it is yeah if they're not consumed by war they can achieve great things he's a harbinger of the progress they could be making right exactly and you know, I, I also like the fact that the episode doesn't spend really any time on the patron, which is kind of a nice little choice. We don't know anything about him. We don't even know his name, I don't think. And it's just like it doesn't matter, right? They're interchangeable. Yeah. He's just another asshole with power. Yeah. And, I mean, he seems amiable enough when he's ordering, you know. He, 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 I mean, he's an asshole producer, right? Like, he... he, he has the money he throws it around sometimes you can beg him if he's in a good mood to give him a little more and otherwise he needs he needs that script on his desk next week (laughs) i mean this is a weird almost bizarre glimpse into what the writer's room might have actually been like that's very true well who who is the patron in this situation then rick berman i don't think rick berman was in the writer's room though no, but I mean, he, he is still the boss, man. Yeah, I guess to some degree. I mean, if, unless you think the Paramount suits are the real enemy. <laughs> well, leaving the planet aside for a minute, I, I do want to briefly touch on on Voyager because, you know, again, it's just there. It's to fill in, to let them know, to let us, the audience, know that Voyager has not forgotten about them and to kind of give us a little bit of a different information about what's going on because there is this question about Where's Harry Kim? What happened to him, right? And you get that brief little scene between Chakotay and Janeway where she looks wistful about the fact that Harry Kim may or may not be dead. Yeah. Spoiler alert, Harry Kim's not dead. Uh. But, of course, at the end of the episode, he appears having walked 200 kilometers through the forest for 10 days, which, good for you, Harry Kim. The first time anybody's ever been happy to see him. (laughs) I know, I was about to say. But, uh... There's that one line that she says, Harry, have you ever inspired anybody? And she knows damn well the answer is no. 
Well, didn't he inspire no. the woman in no. that one episode where they were going to run off together? The, the the one where she was the be- the mosquito lady who was going to eat him? No, no, no. The episode where they were like hanging out at the big ship. Oh, right. But then she gave him space STD and then, then she decided to stay on her own planet anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. So he inspired her to like a two. <laughs> You know, Kel- uh, uh, Kelly thinks Bellana is like a 54. So, I mean, this is what poor Harry Kim. Yeah, I don't really know why Harry Kim is in the episode, honestly. I mean, he could have not been in the episode, and I think it would have worked just as fine. Uh, but I do appreciate that the episode does make the nice little point, once again, that Voyager isn't going to forget them. And that, yeah, I don't know, it's just like... It's just it's just well done. Like I Yeah, you know, I mean I really love Tuvok in this episode. Again, I think this really uh, when he's saying, Oh, I've been up for ten days, but we can make we can make it as long as two weeks and he's you know, falling asleep and just dead tired. Like we see how much you know, because we know Tuvok as well as anybody could, um I mean, this is a man who is suffering extraordinarily, and I like how subtle it's shown. He's not doing internally, not doing it externally, but also everybody around him is able to read that and understands how how much pain he's in. Yeah, and also, I mean, Tim Russ does a really good job yeah. of that too. I, I don't exactly know how he he did that, but he's an actor, and he really shows. I mean, he's he's very good at playing Tuvok. I think that you know, I have made this point before, but I think that Tuvok is probably the second strongest yeah. Vulcan character after Spock. I mean, he just he gets how to play a Vulcan that so many other actors don't. Yeah, that that what he finally is. You know, I, I I need to be relieved. You know, it's with just this air of utter defeat. And I love Chakotay. Rec- you know, has a subtle finally. And but then when he hears the news about Harry Kim, he springs back to life. Like I I loved that whole scene. Now maybe the final thing to say before we wrap this episode up, or the final question I want to ask you is: Do you think that Kellis is a strong enough character to? I don't know. Is he interesting enough? I feel like he's a he's a little bit of a Mary Sue. I, I I don't know. He just he seems a little bit too perfect. I think that's part of the point. Maybe I mean he's just and maybe Bellana could have had a little more of the veneer of cynicism at the beginning. That gets like this is a in general we have a softer version of Bellana than we did. For first season all of her experiences have caused her to become more thoughtful and more deliberate and so but I think maybe if they had begun with the poet being this very naive optimistic you know I believe in art and Bellana being well no that's stupid art won't stop a war and ultimately coming to that uh the conclusion that he's right I mean I think that may have that number one would have given it more of a character arc in that, but I think that I don't know him being a young idealistic artist. I mean, I've met so many guys like that. I've been, I was that guy when I was twenty one, you know. So yeah, I think that I that I bought. Yeah, no, for sure. And I also think that I mean, this might be a little bit of a stretch, but but when has that ever stopped us? That you know. What does Bellana like when he when we see him starting out? Right, he he is. I wouldn't say he's a hack. He has talent, but his instincts are to put a bunch yeah. of sex appeal in his place. Right, he he wants to to um, he wants to please his patron. And what does Bellana want from him? He she wants dilithium. She wants gold. I mean, these are things that are prized in this society probably for their beauty and not for much else, because what else are you going to do with gold and dilithium in a Bronze Age society? And he doesn't really get that. And then I think what it really comes down to is that Bellana is using those things to fix the ship. She is using them for a very specific technological purpose that has nothing to do with what they look like. Yeah. And by the end of the episode... She hasn't exactly come around to the idea that art can be transformative, but I think she's kind of going down that road a little bit that she doesn't see it as something that's stupid. And she does push him. She does push the poet 
to elevate his art a little bit, which which I think is a nice little nice little intersection there. Yeah, I think it's clear that the poet is just very young. I mean, there's the scene when the older poet is going in and he's saying, "Oh, you 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 kids just like your gimmicks and your spectacles, but in my day, we wrote true to life stories and I think the show makes it clear that the old man is right. Maybe a bit more formalized aesthetics is necessary uh, over time, but certainly there is a core of stories that you can't betray, and that turns out to be the right thing. I think the show believes that, you know, given 10 years, he's going to be amazing, an amazing poet. Right now, he's just young and brash, and he has a patron who notices a little something in him and is looking to encourage that into something stronger. What... The big problem is is that the first few minutes of this episode are essentially misery starring Bellana Torres. Like, he is a little <laughs> easy, easily forgiven for tying her up and trying to keep her captured because as he says, everybody think good runs away from me. I mean, that's a little creepy. Yeah, I mean, if Memory Alpha can be believed, this episode had a lot of last-minute rewrites, and maybe that's just part of it, that some of mm. it doesn't hang together as well as you would like because of that reason. I don't know. Yeah, I maybe mean, it initially was an episode about him keeping her captive and her trying to get out, but number maybe one— Maybe it would have been better if she had just been unconscious for 10 days and then she woke up suddenly. I mean, I, you know, you, there's there's ways yeah. around that, but yeah, I, I, I take your point. I mean, that, I mean, things like that are what makes it a good episode and not a great episode, but— it's I, I, it's a nice little it's a nice little like visual and tonal shift for the series yeah. for the season and I, I I enjoyed it for that reason if nothing else. I mean I loved all the play segments. Uh, I, I think those were very good. All right, well I think we'll call it an episode. If you have any thoughts on either of the episodes of Star Trek Voyager we just watched, please leave a comment on the post for this episode at trekaboutshow.com. As Richard and I both said earlier. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. If you enjoy Truckabout and would like to financially support us, please do so. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we are there. Truckaboutshow is our username. And as always, please leave us an Apple podcast review for Truckabout. All right, four episodes of Voyager left in this season, two podcasts left before we reach the seventh and final season of Star Trek Voyager. Next week... We're going to be talking about Fury and Lifeline. 